She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode 17, Walkabout. This episode was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and originally aired on Friday, March 28th, 1997 at 9 p.m. In it, Frank is missing, and when he's found, he's injured and doesn't remember what happened. Will we find out? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. This episode was written by Chip Johannesson and Tim Tenkosik and directed by Cliff Boyle. I think that's probably just Bowl. Uh, Boyle's fine. I don't, I don't know how to say it. By Cliff Bowl. There you go. You can use either one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know which one it is, so I'll just use whatever. <laughs> Johannesson's prior two episodes, Blood Relatives and Force Majeure, received high marks from us. And so we'll see if he gets a hat trick on the third one. Bowl slash Boyle is a one and done on Millennium, but he will direct four episodes of The X-Files, one very soon. And his directing career included The Amazing Spider-Man, the TV series from the 60s, starring Nicholas Hammond, BJ and the Bear. Only one episode of each of those, though, so it wasn't like he was, like, the main guy. Um, Six Million Dollar Man, which 12 episodes. Charlie's Angels, six episodes. Vegas, 12 episodes. Fantasy Island, 20 episodes. DJ Hooker, 17 episodes. Spencer for Hire, three episodes. Mantis, three episodes. MacGyver, 16 episodes. Star Trek Next Generation, 25 episodes. Nice. Star Trek Deep Space Nine, seven episodes. Star Trek Voyager, 10 episodes. And, as mentioned, four X-Files episodes. His last directorial credit was the season three episode of Supernatural, Red Sky at Morning, in 2007. He passed in 2014. Oh. Yeah. Well, he definitely did a lot of things. I wonder if that Supernatural episode have to do with sailing, because there's that saying, Red Sky at Morning, Sailors Take Warning, Red Sky mm-hmm. at Night, Sailors Delight. So, yeah, I'd have to look it up because I don't remember which episode that is. But it's if it's 2007, it's one I've seen. So Yeah, it's, well, season three, I just didn't get the number. I didn't look it up. Yeah. So. Anyway, let's begin our walkabout, shall we? <laughs> so we're in Yakima, Washington, Sunday, 9, 27 a.m. At the whole family medical clinic, no appointment necessary, a dog is sniffing around and then scratching at the door to get inside. Inside, the reception desk is empty, but down the hall, there's a commotion and screaming. Someone's like, help me. And then this nurse like tumbles out of her room and she's trying to close the door. And she's got like blood on her nose. And this man sticks his arm through it, but she manages to force him back and then shut the door and lock it. And then inside the room, the patients are freaking out. One man is screaming about wanting to live on land and takes out his dentures. (laughs) And there's a woman who attacks another woman. And the man who had jutted his arms out is pressing his eyes until they bleed. So he's like jamming his thumbs into his eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And then we see Frank Black is in the room. And he starts pounding on the glass of the door. And then it cracks. And then it's the main titles. Yeah, there is some wild stuff going on in that room. I do not know what's happening. But everyone is having their own private freak out. And it does not seem fun. So then we come back from the titles and we get our epigraph. I remember the very things I do not wish to. I cannot forget the things I wish to forget. And that is by Cicero. And that is from his De Fibinus Boronum et Moralum, book 232. Um, I actually have the Latin here and I was going to read it, but I'm not going to do that. But anyway, the whole quote in translation is, 
Themistocles at all events, when Simonidas or someone offered to teach him the art of memory, replied that he would prefer the art of forgetting. For I remember, he said, even things I do not wish to remember, but I cannot forget the things I wish to forget. So. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I was going to be, yeah, I decided I'm not doing the Latin. So. <laughs> so then we're at the yellow house and Jordan is playing with her dog, Benny, when the doorbell rings. So Catherine and Jordan race to the door with Benny and Catherine sees Peter Watts is standing on their doorstep. So she sends Jordan into the next room and opens the door. And she's like, did something happen? Like, obviously, this guy showed up on her doorstep. She's freaked out. She knows he works with Frank. So Peter's like, did Frank call you last night? And she says, no, but he doesn't when it gets too late sometimes. Peter tells her that Frank never checked into his hotel in Yakima. And the police called this morning to say he missed his meeting with them. Peter wants to look through Frank's things. Maybe together they can find something. So Catherine invites him inside. Down in Frank's basement office, Peter apologizes for asking, but then he asks if there's anything he should know about that's going on between them, which is a very personal question. He turns on Frank's computer and Catherine asks what he was sent to Yakima to work on. She learns that it was a routine homicide review, but apparently Frank really wanted to go. Peter checks his internet history and sees he's been getting encrypted emails from a Dr. Daniel Miller. Frank was communicating with him using the name David Marks instead of his own name. Hmm. Undercover. Uh-huh. Catherine tells Peter that five years ago, just before Frank collapsed, he would vanish for days at a time. He'd check into hotels using the name David Marks. It was a friend of his when he was a kid who died. Oh, so maybe not undercover. Okay. Well, maybe undercover for this doctor, but not a name that other people aren't going to connect to him. So. Well, I know, but it also might just be a mental break thing where he's... Oh, yeah. I think that's what she's implying. Yeah, that's true. Jordan comes downstairs and asks if daddy is all right. Neither Catherine nor Peter have an answer. <gasps> The big question is whether Locke is all right. Locke, are you okay? You're so spoiled. Are you the most spoiled cat on the planet? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You just got some of my string cheese. You're so spoiled. <laughs> yeah. So two police in a police car get a drunken disorderly call over the radio. They arrive and see two men fighting in an alley over a watch. Maybe Frank's watch. Oh. Mm. While they're there, they see Frank apparently unconscious on the pavement, and he's in bad shape. So that probably was supposed to be Frank's watch. because he's uh -huh. huddled up in a like, fetal position, so on the ground. Whew. Yeah, not good. So then we're at the Seattle Public Safety Building, and it's Tuesday at 8.11 a.m. Catherine carries Jordan inside and sees Bletcher. She asks where Frank is. Frank is slept in a chair near a computer desk, and he's looking really rough. Bletcher tells her Yakima police found him. So Catherine leaves Jordan with him and goes to see Frank. Frank hugs her and clings to her. He's clearly not well. His hand is bandaged, and she asks what happened. Then Jordan comes running in, and so, of course, like they hug. Peter asks Bletch if he knows what happened. 
Bletch says, well, you know, he won't really say. Maybe he'll talk to you, tell you what happened. He does show him the hospital bracelet that Frank was wearing, which is labeled David Marks. Mm. Back home, Catherine asks Frank what's going on. Frank can't remember, but he acknowledges that using the name David Marks must have been scary for her. And I do love that he acknowledges that. Like, they do have a good relationship where they do communicate on a regular basis and they communicate well. And I just really appreciate that because that's not something I feel like you see a lot on television, Mm -hmm. especially in procedural shows. Like, usually the guy is, like, lying to his wife. So it's just nice that he's open about it. And he understands that he put her through some shit, which is good. Catherine tells him about the emails, which Frank also doesn't remember. He tells her that it's not what she's thinking. He can't remember what happened to him, but wherever he was, he knows that somebody died. Mm. Which is pretty scary. Which would be a good time for commercial, but it's not. (laughs) Then we're at the Central District in Yakima, Washington. Peter and Frank arrive at a street with a row of businesses. Frank asks if he's sure it's the right address, and Peter says it's the address on the internet account. They go up the stairs, and a bunch of kids are playing in the hallway while someone yells at them to shut up. He's the super, or, you know, whatever, guy in charge. And they ask for Dr. Daniel Miller, and they get told that he's in 109. Frank wants to talk to him alone, and so as he heads over, the super, like, leans out, and I was like, hey, remind him that his rent is two weeks late. So <laughs> Frank knocks on the door and says his name is Frank Black. And then he's like, David Marks. And on that, Miller opens the door, and he's like, you used a fake name? And Frank counters by asking if he's really a doctor. And Miller seems annoyed, but says he was fourth in his class at Cornell. So he lets him in. And Frank is like, I came to you for medical advice? And Miller is like, yeah. Frank says he's never been there before. And Miller says, you're barely here now. <laughs> and I thought it was a really good exchange because we don't really know what's going on. But like, I kind of like Dr. Miller. He's kind of eccentric and a little bit mm-hmm. off kilter. Well, but we're like, going to find know, kinda... out he's gone through some shit, too. Oh, so. he's gone through a lot of shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I did like the exchange where he's like, you're barely here now. It's like, okay. <laughs> good. Frank has no idea why he was in contact with him. Miller asks if he remembers the trial. It revolved around selective retrograde amnesia possibly psychogenic. Frank looks uneasy and asks what kind of medicine he practices. Miller says he told them right up front that he can't practice anymore. And Frank is like, when? He's like, in the email. So again, like Frank doesn't remember kind of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then Miller sees the cuts on Frank's knuckles and says he heard it got weird, but most people just saw crazy stuff. Frank asks what they did to him, and Miller tells him he thought he was doing him a favor. Frank came to him because he said he was seeing things, like Miller does. And Frank told him that he was looking for a cure. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Daniel Miller is played by Zaliko Ivanik. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I probably butchered it last time we said it. He played Roland and Arthur Grable in X-Files season one, episode 23, Roland. So Mm -hmm. I knew he looked familiar and I couldn't figure it out. And then I was like, oh, right. He was Roland. He's also appeared in episodes of Bones, White Collar, and four episodes of the new Let the Right One in TV series, which I haven't seen, 
Uh, my other podcast, we did like a quick little mini sode about it because my co-host had watched through it. It's incredibly different from the book, so it has nothing in common with the book at all. So I don't know who he plays because I don't know all the characters are new. So I don't the names mean nothing to me. But yeah, he but is I do because I <laughs> listen to the podcast <laughs> and I did some research. So um, you weren't the, like you said, you weren't the one who watched it, but he plays Arthur Logan, who is the father of Peter and Claire Logan. And is the one trying to find the cure for vampirism because Peter was also bitten the same time as Eleanor. Uh And then his daughter Claire is the one who takes over the research. So I guess, yeah, yeah, they're the antagonists. Although I think it was Shell who said, like, if they would just all work together, it would be fine. So, yeah. 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 So that makes sense. Again, I have not watched the show, but it's good that he's still acting, I guess. Yeah. And interestingly, I found out there's a character called Roland in that show who's played by Josh Wingate, but I couldn't find out who the character is. I'd like to think he's the vampire, but that might be wrong. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, I couldn't find anything out aside from the fact that Roland he's by... the vampire. Nice. That'd be yeah. cool. Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. So anyway. A song I like, sorry. Side. <laughs> random tangent that's that's what you guys tune in for right yeah 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 she got warren zevon he actually kicks a lot of butt it's not just werewolf in london he's got a lot of really good songs anyway peter and frank arrive at the whole family medical clinic frank tells peter that miller says frank contacted him on the internet apparently he keeps tabs on experimental drugs and clinical trials And Frank had been interested in a third-stage efficacy trial of a drug called Proloft. Frank doesn't understand it, though. He doesn't even take aspirin. So he's like, why would I want to do a drug trial? But that's what Miller said he wanted to do, so he's confused. Inside the clinic, Peter asked the nurse at the desk if she knows anything about a clinical trial that was held there that past Sunday. She's just like, well, we're closed weekend, so no. Frank walks down the hall, and the nurse tries to stop him. He walks over to the door of the room that we saw him inside in the opening, and he has a flash of people screaming. He touches the door, but the glass in the window is no longer broken. He tells Peter that it happened here. He broke the glass in the door with his hands. He looks around the room and says this couldn't have been a normal trial. These were animals in a zoo. And then he has more flashbacks of the chaos. So then in the room, he climbs up on something and he touches the wall near the ceiling. There's no camera now, but he says that there was one and someone was observing the trial. (sighs) And then we cut to someone watching the footage from the trial and taking notes. He's filling out the page on, quote unquote, David Marks, and he's watching as Frank pounds on the glass. His notes say that his reaction onset was sudden, his reaction intensity was, quote, major, and his agitation level is at an 85. His notes also say that Marks had an extreme adverse reaction, which suggests organic disorder. (gasps) And then it's commercial. Yeah. So, yeah. Ooh. Nice segue, too. Like, someone was observing, and then we cut to someone observing. Good yep, job. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So 
So then we're at the Seattle Public Safety Building, and it's Tuesday, 4.22 p.m. Peter tells Frank they scoured the building, and there were holes in the ceiling that could have been from mounted cameras. The glass in the door had also been replaced at some point. There were some latent blood stains, but that's not unusual in a medical setting. The drug company released their records of the trial, minus names, but confirmed that David Marks was in the trial and left at 3.45 p.m. Peter is trying to contact the attending nurse, but it appears Frank was indeed in this drug trial. Huh. Frank says he never would have taken the drug, but everyone was affected. He thinks the drug was in the water dispenser. Peter says they checked it and it was fine. And then he tries to level with him, like, dude, your hands are cut up and you're telling me a person died, but there's no evidence of it. And you can't remember where you've been or what you've done. He's like, you need to talk to somebody. And Frank tells him that Danny Miller is gathering the trial participants together to find out what happened. And Peter is welcome to come. And then he just leaves. <laughs> and then Peter follows him out. So <laughs> the group of trial participants is gathered in Miller's apartment. And one man is like, I was scared. And this is the man who removed his dentures in the opening that said he wanted to live on land. And then Frank asks another man if he saw him there. And he says, yeah, you were writing stuff down. That was the nurse taking notes, this other woman says, and she's like, I've seen way worse stuff down in New Orleans when I was in a drug tile for an anti-Alzheimer's drug. And then Peter asks Miller how many people are human guinea pigs for a living. And Miller's like, there are thousands of medical trials every year. And then the dentures guy is like, I saw a guy blind himself with his own hands. And then the other guy is like, I saw you tear your nose off and it's clearly still on your face. So <laughs> obviously we were seeing some shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so then they leave. And there's a kitty in the hall, and it's this big orange boy, and I just want to pet him. <laughs> I want to pet him so bad. And Frank tells Peter that the man who blinded himself is the man who died. And Peter's dubious and is like, you want to trust them shut-in you met over the internet? And he's angry that Frank has misled the group when he concocted group business to get him to Yakima, and that he misled his wife. And Peter's like, I'm the one who had to go and tell your wife that you were missing. And so he's not happy about it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you're not being honest with anybody. And Frank is like, I'm trying very hard. And then he leaves. (laughs) I feel really bad for Frank. I know I'm laughing, but like he really is distraught and confused. And like, I think it's a great device when the protagonist can't necessarily remember what happened. There's going to be an episode of the X-Files like that coming up shortly. It's pretty good. I kind of love it. I think it's a great way to like have them piece stuff together. But like he's he's suffering a lot. Like you can tell he's very confused. None of this feels in character for him. He does not understand what he was doing and he just seems really distraught about it. So rough time for Frank Black. Also, again, Lance Henriksen is just fucking kicks ass in this yeah he's a great actor he's He's fucking good so so then we're at the yakima county hospital frank tells the nurse at the reception desk that he's looking for a man who may have been admitted with severe eye damage she tells him the patient records are confidential he says the man may have been admitted with him his name is david marks she tells him to wait and she'll see what she can do She leaves, so Frank sneaks behind the desk and looks through the files until he finds one for David Marks. Then he has another flashback to the drug trial. The nurse returns with the security guard, so she obviously didn't go to help him in any way. Not that I'm surprised. But they don't see Frank behind the desk, and so she tells the security guard that Frank nearly broke an orderly's arm. 
But now she thinks he's gone because she doesn't see him. So she thinks he left. So she was scared because he had broken this orderly's arm. Mm. But still. Yeah. Once he says David Mark, she's like, oh, like you can tell the look at her face like, oh, shit. And that's why she's like, Mm -hmm. I'll be right back. (laughs) The security guard asked why they released a guy so violent. And she says they didn't. He fought his way out. Frank ducks around the corner and looks through the file for David Marks, but all the documents inside are blank. The doctor who'd been taking notes from the footage of the trial has a file for David Marks with Yakima County Hospital letterhead and Frank's photo that we see him file away. Mm. Then he looks at a tissue sample under a microscope. He opens a fridge to grab an apple and we see that from the fridge, there's some reddish liquid dripping onto the floor. Hmm. Kind of gross. Yeah. David Mark's file lists his birth date as July 21st, 1947. Lance Henriksen was born on May 5th, 1940. So hmm. I was thinking maybe they had just used his birthday, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Back at the Yellow House, Frank tells Catherine that he hoped the medical records would help him remember. She says they'll show up, but Frank says, no, he has them. Catherine's like, uh, who? Frank obviously doesn't know. Catherine tells him that Peter called and he's trying to help. Frank says he should be looking for the man who died. Catherine is surprised to hear that he doesn't believe Frank, but he did tell her things about the drug Proloft, that it's meant to treat certain temporal lobe anomalies, such as hallucinations. Mm. Frank insists he wouldn't have taken the drug. Catherine says she knows, but it makes a certain kind of sense that he was at the trial. I guess because of his visions? They don't say that, but I'm assuming that's what they're talking about. Unless he had some kind of hallucinations during his breakdown, too. Mm -hmm. Frank says, not to me. She says she knows he would never lie to her. He needs to find the guy who died. She says they found Frank near the clinic after he left the hospital... So whatever drew him back there had to be important. Mm. Also, for listeners listening in real time, obviously it's been a while since we did a Millennium episode. And without being spoilery, we should probably remind everyone that two episodes ago, we learned that Jordan is definitely her father's daughter. Mm-hmm. So maybe a relationship happening here. We'll find out. So. Yeah. And he has visions all the time that we are told by Chris Carter are not visions. He is extrapolating facts from the air, very much like Will Graham and Hannibal, right? Like that is supposedly what he's doing, but they function and act like visions. And a lot of these episodes seem to imply that they are more than that because they are written by people who are not Chris Carter. So Um, I don't know. I don't know where that line is, but I am convinced that he is actually psychic. That is my theory running through the show. Yeah, which would also mean that Jordan may have inherited that from him. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So later, Frank is back in front of the clinic, and he has more flashes of the drug trial, and the man who guides his eyes out has a bandage over his eyes. And then he hears a garbage truck, and so he jogs around to the back of the building where the truck is in the alley, empty in the dumpster. And the dog from before is there barking, and so Frank gets the garbage man's attention, and he tells him to turn off the truck. And then he takes one of their flashlights, and he climbs up into the truck, and we see the body of the nurse from the drug trials in the <gasps> truck. She's dead. Oh, no. Yeah, and we have a commercial because 
people died. And actually, we do get a quick glimpse of like a body falling out of the dumpster into the truck before Frank stops them. It's unclear if we're supposed to think that Frank saw that. I don't think he probably could because of the line of sight where he's standing because the dumpster is like it's one of those trucks where it, the dumpster's in the front and then it picks up and lifts over the hood and dumps. And he's standing at the back of the truck, so he probably wouldn't have been able to see the body. But mm-hmm. we do get like a quick like little second. He sees like some legs and white pants go Woo, and fall into the truck. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yeah. So unless he has x-ray vision in addition to psychic visions, he didn't see it. He just knew. He just had a hunch. He had a hunch. Hunch. In the alley, the crime team is there, and so is Peter Watts, and he's examining the nurse. He says she has defensive wounds, lacerations, and bruises, but none of her wounds match the wounds on Frank's hands. In other words, Frank didn't beat her up. Thank goodness. He suspects she was hit over the head with a rock or a pipe. Frank says that the killer doesn't see himself as a killer. Peter admits that Frank was right. Somebody died. But Frank's like, no, that's not the person I was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) He can't even take the win. But I mean, I get it. Like there, he obviously thinks the guy with the eye damage is the one who died. But still, I thought it was funny. They realize the killer has to be involved with the trial somehow. Frank vaguely remembers there was someone he was supposed to see which was why he went to the trial. So Frank goes back to Miller's apartment. He slides a Polaroid of the dead nurse under the door to get him to open up, which works. So Miller opens the door and he's like, that was the nurse from the trial. Miller is distraught. Frank says he's connected to the man who was running the trial and asks who he is. Miller doesn't know, but the people he knows wouldn't do this. Then he gets upset and he accuses Frank of not really seeing things like Frank lied about having these visions that he claimed to have. But Frank says, no, I do like he. So again, he's confirming that he has some kind of visions, whatever they are. I believe them to be psychic in nature. Miller tells him that he has a daughter. One night he was taking care of her while his wife was out. Then they found him on the highway trying to run into cars. He thought the headlights were the road to heaven. And then he holds a photo of his family, which Frank looks at. Miller says he's thankful every day he didn't drag his daughter out there with him. But he's afraid of what she might have inherited from him. Then Frank gets paged and he has to go, but he writes his number on a piece of paper and he tells Miller he can call him if anything comes up. Then he leaves. We see Peter is walking with Frank and he tells him he was right. The water in the cooler was contaminated. Frank is like, well, I thought you tested it. And Peter's like, we did. But a mass spectrometer found trace residue of something in the spill tray. Proloft. They reach a lab and Peter says they assume someone from the trial spit out their medication. Peter introduces Frank to the technician, Cindy. She looked at the residue. Frank's like, oh, I thought it was Proloft. And then he gets told yes and no. She shows him two stereoisomers, two configurations of the substance that makes up Proloft, mesmertine hydrochloride. Nice name, mesmertine. Yeah, yeah. Probably fake, but that's a good name. That's a good name. Yeah, it is. Peter mentions thalidomide, which had two forms. One prevented miscarriages and one caused severe birth defects. So Proloft can adjust serotonin levels and control anxiety. But the stuff in the cooler would probably lower the threshold for temporal lobe seizures. And then we see Frank having more flashbacks of chaos at the trial. 
Peter says it would cause a fight or flight response, almost the opposite of Proloft. Frank says he had a drink of water. He never knowingly took the drug. Peter's like, it has to be someone from Bedford Shriver, the drug company that makes Proloft. They have 2,000 employees, and going in blind might tip them off. Frank says this is a trial where the killer is testing for something bigger, possibly some kind of mass contamination. (gasps) Oh my gosh. Contaminate the reservoir. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. Contaminate the water supply like a Batman villain and everyone's Mm going to be all fucked up. Yep. Laughing fish. We see Miller working on a computer with information about Proloft from the Bedford Shriver website on his screen. He's looking at the doctors in the photo, and one of them is the man that we saw making notes on David Marks. And then someone knocks on his door, and it's the same doctor. And you're like, Uh-oh. don't open the door. I know. <laughs> don't open it. No. But he's like, I just want to talk. But Miller tries to keep the door shut, but then the doctor busts it open by breaking the chain lock. So, oh, is he not a good dude? Mm-mm. Frank is driving and talking to Catherine on the phone. Catherine tells him Danny Miller left kind of a nutty message for him on their machine. And then she plays it for him. And he's like, I started thinking about why should I feel bad when I feel good? I'm ready to head outside. And then he starts singing Danny Boy. And then we see Miller standing in the middle of the street, meandering and singing. And it's like, you know, a multi-lane highway, basically. Mm -hmm. And the cars are swerving around him so they don't hit him. And Frank sees him and he parks his car on the side of the road. And he's dodging traffic to run to Miller when a car just slams into Miller and sends him flying across the sedan and into the street. Mm-hmm. Frank jogs over to where Miller's lying in the street. The driver gets out and is like, he ran right at me. There was nothing I could do. And <laughs> Miller and he's dead in his commercial. And that guy totally just plowed into him. Miller was just standing there and he turned around and the guy just smacked right into him. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bullshit, man. <laughs> so then it's Wednesday and it's 1154 p.m. Frank is back home in his basement office and on the phone. He thanks the person, and then Peter comes into the office. Danny apparently contacted half of the Bedford Shriver company. Watts was out of his apartment until the fiber crew showed up and looked through his things. He was definitely good at what he did until his breakdown in 1986. And after. He would help people with little hope get into experimental trials for AIDS drugs and psychiatric issues when they didn't respond to the approved therapies. So he was doing good work. He was helping mm-hmm. people get into trials that they needed. I mean, it's it's a noble goal. Yep. Watts hands Frank Miller's sheets on the trial participants. He thought Frank might want to let them know what happened to Miller. Frank flips through the pages and he sees the name Hans Ingram written in the corner of all of them. He says that Miller left him a message. (sighs) Then we're at Bedford Shriver Pharmaceuticals, and it's Thursday at 1022 a.m. A woman walks Frank and Giebelhaus through the company floor, saying she can't believe Hans Ingram would do the things they're suggesting. He's been a model employee for 16 years. He works long hours, and he never misses a day. Except today, when, you know, Gibblehouse quips, because he's yeah. apparently not there today, so. Also, you can't trust someone named Hans. Yeah, we know that, right? Oh, yeah. The pharmaceutical employee woman is played by Nancy Kerr. She will appear in two episodes of The X-Files we haven't seen yet, the season four finale and an episode in season five. She's also in one episode of Supernatural. Super fucking natural. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Meanwhile, back a millennium, the police are with Bletcher and they bust open the door to an apartment. And we learn this is Hans Ingram's personal office. And Watts isn't far behind. And inside, the office is clean and empty. <gasps> the woman leads Frank and House into a room full of marketing material mock-ups for Proloft. Posters read, straighten out your life with Proloft. In the apartment, Peter flips through the files and finds one for David Marks, which contains photos of Frank beating on the glass and breaking it. On the counter, Peter finds packets of something called smooth time. Looks like it's a tea of some sort. Bletch mentions the thing in the microscope looks like human tissue. And Peter notices the reddish water dripping from the fridge. He opens it and the body of the bald man who clawed out his own eyes tumbles out. <gasps> he's got like chunks of skin missing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind well, he's been cutting his flesh to kind of look at it in yeah. the microscope. Yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Anyway, back at the drug company, Frank is looking through papers and Giebelhaus comments on the number of people medicated for depression and that if this guy hates Proloft, maybe he thinks he's doing them all a favor. And then the phone rings and it's for Frank. The lady answers it. She's like, oh, it's for you. And it's Peter. And he tells him about the body and how it had ocular trauma and that had the tissue samples removed for study. And then he's like, what about you? Frank tells Peter they found a hopper full of ibuprofen that's heavier than it should be, so they're testing it for contaminants. So I guess they know how much ibuprofen weighs. I yeah, well, that. you should. If you're filling bottles, it should weigh the same every time, right? So if it weighs oh, more. Oh, okay. I'm just thinking like there's a packet of ibuprofen. And I'm like, wow, this is heavy. But yeah, I guess they're talking about science. Anyway, Frank thinks that dosing random bottles of painkiller won't do it for him. He wants to make a grander point. And then Peter asks if Bedford Shriver makes a product called Smooth Time. Frank asks the rep, and she's like, mm, never heard of it. Peter thinks this will be his grand point. They found a box of it there in his office. <gasps> Uh-oh, that's not good. So then we're at Gateway Center, and it's 11.43 a.m. A man breaks through the glass of a building window and swan dives to the ground. So we're outside. We see him just, like, jump through the window. People are running in all directions, and Frank pulls up. We see another man is being rolled out on a stretcher. Frank goes inside and finds Peter kneeling while he's holding a person who has head trauma who's on the ground. He hands Frank an empty packet of smooth time, and he says that the perpetrator was handing out product samples to people on their way to work. Frank asks if Bletcher has him, but Bletcher says he'd be long gone. Frank says no. He records everything, and he wouldn't miss this. So Frank walks deeper into the lobby where more people are collapsing or just having issues and running out of the building in a panic. Everything's kind of chaos. And he spots cameras on the ceiling. He asks the security guard where the security office is and then heads in that direction. The stairs in the hall are complete chaos with people holding their heads or having other violent reactions. The security office is locked, so Frank kicks the door open. And we see Hans is inside and he's at the desk watching the monitors. He tells Frank that he saw him coming and he could have left. He spins around in his chair and he says, Agitation 85, you were wild. I learned a lot from you. Frank says that he poisoned him. Ingram says he had a plan and Frank stepped on it. Frank says that he's poisoned all those people and he points to the monitors. Ingram grabs him and shoves his face against the monitor, saying, They poison themselves. Look at this. People will take anything. Ingram says his company makes people zombies, and he's waking them up. 
After this, people won't go back to their zombie lives. Frank says he killed a nurse. He killed Danny Miller. What kind of point is that? And then Bletch and Giebelhouse run in and they grab Ingram and cuff him. And he whines that he had a plan and Frank ruined it. It's very Scooby-Doo. Yeah, and Bletch is all, <laughs> I got a plan for you, prison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Then it's Saturday and it's 10.02 a.m. And Frank is on the porch of the yellow house with Jordan and they're playing with a kite. And Peter pulls up. So Frank hands Jordan the kite and he goes over to talk to Peter. And Peter says the body count is going to hold steady at four. Which, okay, so there's the dude who poked his eyes out. And there's the nurse. Mm -hmm. And there's Danny Miller. So someone at the guy the who jumped center, out the window, probably. I guess, yeah, probably the guy who jumped out the window. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So the body count holds at four, and then Frank is like, "It could have been worse." And then Peter hands Frank a Manila envelope with the stuff from the drug trial, and he's like, "Why you were there in the first place is your business." So like he's saying, like, "I didn't look at this, but here's your information that you need." And Frank thanks him, and then Peter drives away, and then back inside. Frank and Catherine are looking at the file and the photos of himself pounding on the glass. I mean, Peter did look at it because he was looking through the file and saw that those were pictures of Frank. But like, he, <laughs> he, well, he guesses what he said is he didn't read it and whatever. Yeah. It says, it's fine. It's his own mm -hmm. business. Like, we're cool. It's fine. Sorry for what I said <laughs> earlier about how you led us all astray. Anyway. But he did because he told them he was investigating something so he could get business travel to Yakima. He couldn't yeah, just go on he, his but own, But he I might guess? not have been in his head doing that, though, right? That's because he's the whole David true. Marks thing. He doesn't remember. So, true. Yeah. 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 Although, now we got someone who, like, maybe is doing things they don't remember. Great. Anyway, <laughs> Frank tells Catherine that he went to the trial because a few weeks ago when Heldon was abducted, something happened that made him wonder if Jordan has the thing that he has. <gasps> yep. Catherine says she know he doesn't want her to see the things that he sees. Frank says they don't want her to live in a world where these things happen. But if Jordan has any part of his gift, then they'll be there to make sure that she can handle it. Yeah, not psychic visions, my ass. <laughs> I'm sorry. This episode is very much about that. Anyway, yep. Yeah. <sighs> yep. And going back to, we talked about, like, the last two episodes this guy wrote, we were both very on board with. Mm -hmm. And as late Jim Steinman would say, uh, two out of three ain't bad. So. <laughs> so I actually really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was entertaining. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I did like the premise that he was in this drug trial and couldn't remember. I thought that the twist that, like, he wouldn't have taken the medication, like, he would have faked it. And and then the medication turned out to be in the water cooler was kind of devious and evil. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I kind of like stories where they're piecing stuff together and the protagonist doesn't know what's going on. So I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it wasn't a bad episode. No. Just, I don't think it well, was it, probably as high as the other two. Also, this is the best evidence I have for my he's really psychic theory. Like this episode is like right there proving my point. So thank you for that episode. Yeah. So I guess we should rate these because we do do that on Millennium and the X-Files, which it, we forgot to do on the X-Files last time, but uh, we should do it on this one. I should probably pull up the ratings because it's been so long. I don't remember 
How are oh, I think I, I'm not even sure when this one's coming out. We might have another X-Files episode before this one even comes out. So people might be like, what do you mean the last time? You did two of them last time. But yeah, I don't remember. So but yeah, last time we did a recording of the X-Files, we forgot to rate it. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, because the last two, like, so Blood Relatives, I gave an eight and you gave a seven. And then Force Majeure, we both gave an eight. So like mm-hmm. the last two episodes he wrote, we both were fans of. Both liked a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I do think this one was good. I think I'm going to go with an eight still. I think oh, I'm going to okay. stick with that. Because, I mean, okay. I was pretty entertained. I was like, what the hell's going on? I wrote the summary for this and I had to backtrack a lot because I at first I wasn't even sure that it was Frank in the room when he's like pounding on the door because it just went by fast. And I was like, wait, was that Frank? And I had to like go back and I'm like, oh, that is totally Frank. We're supposed to know that's Frank. I'm just, I don't know. For some reason, I was so focused on everything else. I was like, oh. So, but I mean, I thought it was really good. It was interesting. Like I was intrigued. I wanted to know what the hell was going on. I feel like the conclusion was a little bit meh. Like, you know, some guy who works for a drug company that's, hates the people That's take where drugs I think and... I am not pleased with it is just like the motivation. I yeah. Think is, is what pulls me out. Yeah. It's that's not like fair. he's not seeing like prophetic visions trying to bring the apocalypse or something like that, like a lot of the people that we deal with the millennium are. He's mm-hmm. just like, man, people are just taking too many drugs. And so we need to teach them not to do that. So I'm going to give them another drug that'll fuck them up. And then they'll be like, oh, I don't want to do that again. Um, yeah, yeah it's not a good plan it's not i mean if you think about it for more than a few minutes you're like wait what <laughs> yeah because because honestly i mean you know anecdotally it's not like bad trips always stop people who are taking drugs because usually you're sometimes you're taking drugs because you either have to or because you're addicted and so you know yeah 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 it's not really a well thought out plan but the story itself until that point was good yeah. and then they just had to wrap it up yeah, so it's just like the motivating factor of the yeah of the villain is kind of it's very cartoony Batman, like I said earlier. But I do like the stuff about Frank and Catherine and their relationship. I like the stuff we get about Frank's history, and I like the whole like he's worried that Jordan has inherited his psychic abilities, mm-hmm. which he definitely has. Yeah, so yeah, I'm gonna go with seven. Okay. Also, my whole two out of three thing is just I like to talk about Jim Steinman. So um, whenever I can, I will. So, nice. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Okay. So eight and seven. And who knows, I might change it. I don't know. But yeah, I think that. But my main thing was that was just like the motivation was what. So when you find out why someone's doing it, you're like, oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not it's not the best. Yeah. Which sometimes, I mean, that can that can kind of, you know, that can affect everything else that happens before. Because then you're like, oh, cause every time you think about it, it's like, oh, he was doing all this just because. He was mad that kids are taking Ridlin or something. Yeah, know? exactly. So, yeah. Something. yeah. He's a Republican, is what we're saying. <laughs> and probably a hypocrite and probably takes a lot of drugs himself. So Probably, yeah. Anyway, seven, eight, millennium, back on track. Been a while since we did millennium. I mean mm-hmm. basically it has been as long since we did a millennium as it was since we had done X Files when we did the X Files episode. Yeah. Them were like two and a half months. So <laughs> Yeah. Listen, things have happened. Okay, we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah. I was almost even like, do we need to do a like mid-season like reminder of what's gone on in Millennium? I'm like, nah, we're on episode 17. It's only 22 episodes. I think we can probably just keep rolling and then we'll just Yeah, we can roll yeah. through it. It'll be fine. Yeah. So, yep, Millennium. I mean, I think we've said everything that needs to be said, I think. Yeah, I don't really have anything, anything else. else. I mean, it was good. My was solid. Again, the motivation was kind of silly, but Frank's psychic. Woo. 
Yeah, and you feel bad for Miller because, like, again, he's you know. Yeah, no, I liked him. He, he was, was doing he was, some good stuff. Yeah, he like he was like you know fourth in his class at Cornell and was a very good like scientist and researcher, and then he had mental issues. He had and, some kind you know, of psychotic break, and yeah, his marriage apparently broke up and everything, and he's just like living in this crappy apartment as a shut-in and helping people when he can. So and yeah, he gets killed because some guy is mad that people are taking medicine. So. Yeah. <sighs> I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. This is where we talk about the X Files as well as what we like to call X Files adjacent television and films. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time, and together we'll try to figure out if if the the truth truth is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. I guess eating string cheese real quick is not great right before your podcast. <laughs> Just mainline distra- I didn't eat because like I got home, I started making the chili and then I had to record. So I got- <laughs> That's why Locke is loud. See, he's just like, like, oh, string cheese. Uh, uh, uh. I was like, I need to shove something in my face. I'm excited for that chili though. I've been meaning to make it for days. It should be really good. <laughs> Chicken chili with white beans. Mm. Yeah. <laughs>